Welcome to the Thousand and One Critical Days podcast. I'm Andrea Ledson, and ensuring that every baby gets the best start for life has been my passion for over 20 years. This podcast will feature parents, politicians, practitioners, and academics who've been part of the Early Years Healthy Development Review. In each episode, we'll be exploring every aspect of the early years and discussing how we can make sure every baby gets the best start for life. Today, I'm talking to my own mum. And you might think, why is she talking to her mum? Well, the reason is because she's the one that got me involved with the early years. And uh, I'm one of five, and so obviously she had all of us over a long period of time. And I wanted to talk to her about her experiences of midwifery and new babies over different decades, but also (laughs) then about her very interesting career in the early years and how she got stuck into it. So, Judy, my mum, hello. Hello, darling. How's it going? <laughs> it's fine. This is my first podcast, but um, I'm sure nothing disastrous will happen. No, this won't hurt. By the way, for all of you listeners, she's 80, but she doesn't want you to know that. And she certainly doesn't look it. But um, Judy, you had the five of us. You had me and my two sisters in the 1960s. And then you had my two brothers in the 1980s. And then you trained yourself as a midwife at Oxford Brooks in the 1990s. So can you tell us a bit about how do you think midwifery and the whole experience of supporting families through childbirth and the critical early period has changed over those many decades? Uh, I think it's changed enormously, Uh, sometimes not for the better. Um, When I had your elder sister, Um, she was the only one of my children born in hospital and the treatment was not kind I'll put it no better or worse than that it was not at all kind and um, it was uh, a uniquely um, lonely experience for mothers and babies because fathers were not allowed to be present at the birth nobody else was and you were left on your own for quite a lot of the time. Um, But that was for the children that were born in hospital. Most babies were born at home in the early 1960s. And I knew people in the village who had babies in caravans. I mean, uh, the, the requirements of a home being good enough for a baby to be born in now are almost mansions compared with what was expected in those days. It was, you know, just, something that didn't let the wet in basically so um things have changed enormously you uh you did your degree in midwifery and you practiced as a midwife and i know myself that you absolutely loved it so however you went off to become a trauma therapist why was that well there were so many different ways that women experienced the actual birth of their child, the childbirth. And there was every gradation from two extremes. One where, as an exaggeration, um, a woman would be screaming as she entered the, um, the midwifery suite and she'd be screaming when she left with her baby. 
and there was no consoling her. And another woman was so silent that you had to pinch yourself to believe that there was somebody in the room with you, totally silent. And I was so fascinated by this that I went off and um, I was actually looking for a subject for my um, four year midwifery degree uh, to do my dissertation and decided that, well, this was a good thing to look at because um, I couldn't find any answers easily. So um, I decided to write about um, post-traumatic stress disorder and childbirth and how it is often um, misinterpreted as postnatal depression. The one of the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder is depression, uh, but it's not the only thing. So uh, my fascination with that grew in intensity and eventually I trained as a psychotherapist specializing in trauma. I guess your experience then as a midwife of so many women who were having traumatic experiences of childbirth must have been one of the reasons you got involved with Oxpit, the Oxford Parent Infant Project. Yes, absolutely. I was trained in, in a very eclectic manner um, to begin with. And um, I did a lot of my um, work experience in a GP's practice in Leicestershire. And there was at that time in Oxford, um, a group of psychotherapists who were all working in primary care. So they all worked in GP surgeries. And um, somebody that I knew asked me if I would like to join them. And uh, from that, she said, would I like to go to a meeting of the Oxford Parent Infant Project? And I said, yes, what is it? Well, we are, uh, we are trying to raise money to train psychotherapists to work with uh, caregivers and babies when there are attachment problems or uh, you know, other problems within the family. And uh, I went to the first meeting and was sitting there present with a cup of coffee when um, the, the chair said, I'm really, really sorry, but we have no money. We, we have to close this down. It was a marvelous idea, but we have to close it down. And I said, what do you mean it was a marvelous idea? It is a marvelous idea. Come on, we're all working. Everybody put 20 pounds on the carpet and bless their hearts, they all did. And somehow that was the stimulus to, uh, for us to start in earnest, trying to raise money. And I've funnily enough just found um, a paper that I, I read um, various places in the county um, explaining um, attachment theory and asking people for money in a very nice way. So that's how I got involved. So, so what was Oxpit doing? What was the purpose of the Oxford Parent Infant Project? The purpose was uh, to raise money to train psychotherapists specifically uh, in various methods of working with uh, a triad of the caregiver, usually the mother, and the baby, and the therapist, and teaching uh, the mother how to, um, to bond with her baby. How to form that critical, secure bond. Yeah, so important. And, and what do you think of the, 
vision for the thousand and one critical days. Um, you know, it's been an interest of yours for so long. What, what do you make of it? You are the person who's been hammering at the door of parliament for 20 years, just saying, realize that the more money we spend on the early years, the less money the taxpayer will have to spend later in dealing with the problems that arise from babies who are brought up without their brains wired up properly. And, you know, that's a, a very sort of a blanket statement, but in the first thousand and one critical days is when the undifferentiated neurons in a baby's brain are, uh, are wired up in a way that will make them um, able to lead a fulfilling life in the future. Um, I once read somewhere that it is the human brain from which the human mind arises and within that mind resides our humanity. So the first job we have to do is make sure that the human baby's brain is wired up in a way that will allow them to lead a fulfilling life. And I think the work that's being done on 1001 Critical Days is imperative, absolutely imperative. I know that, um, uh, that there is work being done elsewhere on um, research, but astonishingly, um, the benefit range of um, spending money on the early years is from 95% to 1000% higher than the costs. And not only is prevention of the, the sadness that we see around us, people living in doorways, people addicted to chemicals, people leading lives of quiet desperation, virtually all of which stems from an unattached baby's mind, not attached to a caregiver, so that it doesn't develop in a way that will allow them to lead a fulfilling life. It is vital, and this work is vital. Yeah, well, I couldn't agree with you more. And so what's your favourite bit? What do you think the vision for the 1001 Days can really add? Well, I was thinking about that. And I think if it can be done, if it can be done well, then there needs to be and there will be a means for parents to find uh, an easy access to, uh, to people who will help them if they are scared, worried, um, having difficulties of any kind, just at the, uh, at the end of a telephone. I mean, think of the amazing work that the Samaritans done, does. Everybody knows how to contact the Samaritans. What we need and what this will bring about is the ability of every parent, young or older, who, who are at their wits end to actually have a number to, to call, where they will know that without being uh, judged in any way, that they will find someone who either has answers or can lead them somewhere to somebody who does have answers. And that will give the kind of confidence that, that parents now need and that 
is what we will begin to change the way our young people grow up. And so, yeah, I mean, it's so true that what happens to you in the thousand and one critical days impacts your lifelong emotional and physical well-being. And so one of the sort of key asks of the thousand and one days vision is a universal offer for every family in England with at its heart midwifery, health visiting, mental health support and breastfeeding support. Do you think that's enough? It's a lot to be going on with. <laughs> there, there is only one thing I would add to that and that's only because of my own particular um, interest in um, previous life events, if you like, that I do think it would be enormously helpful if at the onset of, um, of pregnancy, that, that there is some way of eliciting from women whether they have experienced previous trauma and that that can be noted. And as soon as we have enough psychotherapists, that can be dealt with because it isn't, it isn't quite good enough to know about people's gynecological health. Have they ever had an STD? All of these things, which are important from a medical viewpoint, but there is much more to having a baby and creating a family than just your medical health. Your psychological health also should be given equal weight. And we can be so much more helpful to women one in four or five in the Western world that have had horrible experiences and that we, we don't want to, um, to cause these to, to uh, be made worse during childbirth and pregnancy. So we talked a lot about um, the experience of women in childbirth and your interest and your role in providing your own um, therapeutic support for women. But what about dads and other partners? Um, you know, very often we it, it's all about the mum, the, the newly um, formed relationship between mother and baby, but how about the other partner? How important are they? They're very important. And, and they, the most important thing is that they feel needed, wanted, included, part of the deal. Uh, because um, anecdotally, uh, it, it's not unusual for fathers to feel excluded from this, um, this intimate dance of attachment that the mother and the baby have when their minds are meeting and it is the meeting of their minds that begins the process of attachment and begins the process of um, the billions of neurons being laid down in an optimal manner but the baby doesn't just have to be attached to the mother and the great skill of babies is that they can become attached to uh, to many people um, nursery nurses, parents, grandparents, and it, it is um, a way of ensuring their safety should the, um, the primary caregiver be lost, which obviously happened, you know, in earlier times when um, things were more difficult and babies had to ensure that 
there was a second and a third helper waiting in the wings. So dads are very important. Clever things, babies, aren't they? They really do know how to draw you in. I know, I know, with those enormous eyes and dilated pupils and, and the way their features are set in their faces, they, uh, they just make you fall in love with them. And their cry is so insistent that you cannot ignore it. And yeah. so that way, with their very, very primitive early um, advantages, they can make sure that they do have a primary caregiver and more than one. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. Um, it's been an amazing couple of decades, really, sharing this passion for the early years as we have done. And it's always great to chat about some of your experiences. Thanks. You're welcome, darling. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please be sure to subscribe through the link and wherever you usually listen to your podcasts. And if you'd like to get involved, perhaps in a future episode, or to share your thoughts, please reach out to me through my website, andrealedson.com.